Welcome to the Voice Equals Power podcast, where we explore the big question, how does an artist find their voice? I'm your host, Nicholas Prolak. If you like what you hear today, you can keep up to date with my travels through Sonic Space at my website, nicholascrolak.com or on Instagram at Nicholas underscore Crowley. My guest today is one of the most versatile and commanding bassists in Philadelphia, Sandy Eldred. His big sound and innovative ideas have made him a top call both in the U.S. and abroad. He's played in many of my favorite large ensembles, including the South Philly Big Band, Slow Burn, Norman David's Eleven Tet, and Bobby Zankel and the Warriors of the Wonderful Sound, as well as a founding member of the wildly energetic U.S.E. trio, which as Grammy nomination season is upon us, gets my vote. In our conversation, we touch upon many topics, including performing with the Norman David Eleventet, sight reading, overcoming fear, USE Trio, Ben Schachter, Trio of Many, cultivating creative spaces to play, and his travels in Ukraine. Sandy Eldred. Hello. What's up, man? Thanks for hanging out. Yes, thank you very much for having me, man. Yeah, we are hanging out at uh, one of my favorite spots in Philadelphia, the Random Tea Room in Northern Liberties, which I used to come here all the time, like literally every day when I lived in Northern Liberties. Yes, and actually that's something that I remembered and why I brought it up as a place to meet because yeah, I remember seeing you here a lot. Yeah. This is one of my favorite spots to come hang out. I live just a few blocks from here, so... You are just talking before we started, and we were trying to think of where we met, but neither of us could 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 confirm or deny. <laughs> uh, you are saying that we probably met through Mike Lorenz. I think we met through Mike Lorenz, or at least when your name first became... You know, when I first became aware of you, it was through Mike Lorenz. Yeah. I know you were playing with Mike. Uh, you guys are both from the Lehigh Valley. Or I guess you studied. Yeah. You went to Moravian there. College, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember hearing about you through Mike. But, yeah, I'm not sure if it was at a Tired Hands gig with Mike's trio. Yeah. Or, like I was saying a minute ago, it's yeah. like bass players were never on the same gig. Yeah. So it's not like we're going to meet each other on a gig. It's usually a jam session or something like that. Yeah. There was, when I, when I played in, in Mike's band um, many, many years ago, he, one of the other bass players that rotated in was, was Lee Clark. Yeah. And Lee and I, uh, especially at that time, he had uh, longer hair, and we, we kind of resemble each other a little bit, you know, both bass players, darker complexion, longer hair. And uh, people would confuse us all the time, but I, hadn't, I had never met him. Oh, okay. You know, I just knew who he was. And people would come up to me all the time and be like, oh, are you Lee Clark? And I'd be like, no, I'm, you know, I'm Nick. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he got the same thing. Yeah. And, like, um, I someone came up to me one time after this happened a bunch of times and was like, oh, you remind me of 
this other bass player. And I was like, oh, Lee Clark. And they were like, oh, you know him? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't. But I get this all the time. And then we ended up actually meeting for the first time in Florida when I was out on the road with the Glenn Miller Orchestra and Lee went to go visit Ian O'Byrne. Yes. And then we finally, finally crossed paths. Oh, that's so like, cool, man. It took many miles and many years for us to actually meet. That's so funny that you met all the way down there, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love Lee, man. I've, I worked with him a little bit this past year with um, that artist Kingsley. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of fun, man, just like doing a couple gigs with those guys and, and Kevin Ripley, the drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I forgot, I totally forgot about that. Ian O'Byrne, that's like another connection that yep. we have early yes. on. Um, because I used to play in that band Slow Burn, yep. Ian's large ensemble. Yeah, so I, I feel like I met you through through that whole uh, core group of people, you know, through Lee, Mike Lorenz, and Ian O'Byrne. Mike helped produce a lot of Ian's projects, you yes. know, like like including the last record that we did a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. man, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Still don't have the specifics, but we're a little, a little it'll, it'll, At the end of the conversation, yeah. we'll be like, yes! remember that okay, I'll add an addendum to the <laughs> to the end of the podcast um, you mentioned playing in in Ian's band slow burn uh, which was that was around the time I was living in Lehigh Valley and wanted to leave the Lehigh Valley and there was a couple uh, people from Philly that really influenced me to move to Philly Ian being one of them and uh, Mascarano being another one and it just seemed to me like everybody was doing like really creative cool stuff just kind of on their own terms and also playing in 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 other side project rock-ish whatever type bands uh, which was pretty cool but I always remember you from from playing in Slowborn and Ian's big band uh, stuff too was Slowburn the big band? Slowburn was the larger ensemble. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. I know what you're thinking because originally it was like a ten piece ensemble. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And That's he great. ended up expanding it into a big band. So you had like kind of Slowburn, mm -hmm. um, the ten piece, and then you would have the Slowburn big band. Yeah. And that that's where I remember. Um, you know, when I think think of of you, I think of like that group and like the Eleven Tet. Yeah, and like, Norman. like reading crazy shit. Yeah, you know. So that is a thing I'd like to explore with you. Like how how has your? Because I see you as like a super high level reader, and like as being one of your skill skill sets. And like, how did you develop that? What was your history like with with reading? Yeah, man, it's it's interesting. I wasn't the greatest reader when I started college. I went to UArts, University mm -hmm. of the Arts in Center City, and I mean, I, I, I was decent, but I wasn't by any means that great. Um, but the way that I really got into it was just through playing original music, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that's still one of my favorite things to do to this day, is just meet with someone and take a look at their charts for the first time and read whatever they put in front of me and try and have the ability and the skills to just do that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, a big part of that was just the experience of being in school, being surrounded by a ton of musicians who were writing their own stuff. And the cool thing about original music is that 
everybody's voice is different, you know. So one guy would hand me a chart that would just have some kind of bass line or chord quality or something that I've like literally never seen before, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, whoa, I never thought of that. So I had to, you gotta, I just have to figure out how to play it, right? You have to yeah. get through it as quickly as you can. Um, so a big part of my development with reading was definitely through that. And um, you mentioned Norman's band, Norman David and the Eleven yeah. Ted. Um, yeah, it's awesome, man. I'm coming up on my 10th year now with oh, them. Wow. So it's been a, about a decade now that I've been playing with Norman. And when he first found out about me, it was just through a quartet gig. I was playing with, um, I had a, a, a quartet with Mark Allen, the baritone mm -hmm. saxophonist. Um, my friend Paul Rogers, a trumpet player from North Carolina, and Felix Manzi, the drummer. Felix, yeah. And we had a project where we would cover all the Chet Baker, Jerry Mulligan quartet stuff, you know, mm -hmm. the chordless quartet. Um, and Norman heard me in that band, and he just really liked my sound and my feel, so he asked me to do an 11 Tech gig. Uh, I think it was like a week or two out at that point. And even at that point, man, I was like, oof, you know, <laughs> I know about that band. I know that Norman's stuff is can be intricate and tricky, and it's it's definitely 100% a read. You know, it, it's just a sight-reading band. They don't rehearse or anything like that. But, you know, when you're young and when you want to get to the next level and you want to do something, you just got to kind of say yes and go for it. So that's mm -hmm. what I did. And to my surprise, I showed up. And I was able to cut it, you know, I was able to read his charts well enough. He liked me, he invited me back to do a second gig. And man, just through repetition of that, it just, reading got easier and easier. The more you do it, the easier it gets, the better you get at it. Um, but I've been very fortunate, man, especially in the large ensemble world in Philly. You know, I've played with a number of big bands at this point. Um, and everybody's voice is different, everybody's arranging style is different. Yeah, and I'm just, you know, just to repeat myself again, it's just the more you do it, yeah. I feel like the, the easier it gets. You just have to be consistent with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you mentioned the kind of the mentality of, of yes. I'm just being like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did a... I asked you the question about reading, uh, mostly for selfish purposes, because reading's been like a not strong part of, of my playing and also uh, um, uh, a thing I've become afraid of over the years you know what I mean it's like very easy as a bass player to avoid reading gigs yeah you know what I mean you can just play tune calling gigs all day and like you get called for them a lot it's very easy to pass up on big band gigs because they don't pay very well most of the time and I found myself in in in, in that and you know about a, about, a, about a year ago I was just like any big band thing I get called for, I'm saying yes to. Yeah. I'm just going to do it. And, you know, when you, when you, I feel like when you say that, say yes to things and just commit to it, that, that fear kind of subsides and allows you to, to kind of grow. Yeah. There's a couple things I think about. Mm -hmm. um, one is a quote actually from, from Norman David that he, he said to me years ago music's like getting hit by a bus except it doesn't hurt <laughs> you know yeah. there can be a large impact you can really feel it sometimes but at the end of the day nobody's going to get hurt right yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's something that I, I try to remind myself of all the time and the other thing is 
It's funny, when I graduated from UArts, we had an amazing commencement speaker, man. Neil Gaiman, the writer. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, wow. he was our commencement speaker that That's year. Great. And his, his speech was so good that he actually went and turned that particular speech into a book <laughs> called Make Good Art. That was yeah. kind of his punchline, was to make good art. And one of the things he talked about in his speech was when he was looking for jobs as a writer, he just straight up lied. Yeah. You know, he would he would reach out to to these people and then say, so what's your experience, blah, blah. And he's, he would just say, oh, I, I did this and I worked for this guy and I've done that. Yeah. And half of those things were not true. Yeah. But I kind of look at that from the same angle as I look at saying yes to something that maybe you're not 100% prepared for. It's yeah. like, well, if you say yes, you're going to have to figure it out, right? You're going to mm -hmm. have to fit yourself into that situation, figure out what your role is, and, and do it. Yeah. So that's always inspired me, too. I always think back on that whenever somebody calls me or hits me up to do something that I might not be super comfortable with. Yeah. But I know that the only way to to, to really get comfortable with it is to start doing it yeah absolutely. that's really the only way yeah that that reminds me of, of, a, of a thing that kind of popped up in my my uh, readings recently which was um parkinson's law which is I, I may butcher this but essentially is the more time you have to give you have to complete a given task the more time the task is going to take you know, it's kind of kind of the same thing. Like the the more um, space you have to perfect something, like the more you're never gonna perfect it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just having like a time constraint on it, or having like a this gig, this gig right now kind of constraint on it will force you to grow into that. Yeah. That space you want to be at, because you're never gonna be like perfect enough for the gig before the gig. Yeah, it's and true. If you are, that gig's gonna be boring. <laughs> yeah, it's true. There always has to be an element of uh, kind of anxiety for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Honestly, I like it, man. I, I thrive off of that. I, f I feel like that energy needs to be there. I agree with that. And and in the long term too, it's like you kind of got to think of the long term in a series of short term goals. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm learning the older I get. You know, whatever it might be, trying to get to the next level with with my reading or my improvising or w what have you. It's all about setting short-term goals and, yeah, not giving yourself such a large amount of time mm -hmm. to accomplish them. But you kind of stack one on top of the other, and, and it helps you move up the ladder in a sense. Instead of having this just big far-fetched idea and expecting yourself to eventually get there in yeah. some roundabout way. Mm -hmm. It's really about breaking it down into shorter increments and trying to achieve one at a time. Yeah, yeah. What's a, a shorter increment that's like on uh, in in your in your crosshairs like right now? Right now? Yeah. So right now, um, I've been working with this trio project that I have USE. Yeah. USE Trio, um, which is a band that I have with my good friends Matt Scarano on drums and Andrew Urbina on the alto saxophone and um, yeah that's kind of been one thing that I've been taking very seriously and setting myself goals for um, we're about to put out our second record on November the 5th 2019 mm -hmm. um, 
this one's called Sideways Circle Live. And just a few months before now, in early June, we released our first record called Sideways Circle. Mm -hmm. So you see, I'm like, uh, we're putting out like a bunch of stuff in a short period of time. Yes. So this was one of my goals. I said to myself, okay, I have this project. I want it to get out there. What do I need to have by next year in order for this project to kind of have its place in the world, be official? And then it, that, that dawned on me, okay, like we need a record, have to get that done. We need photographs have to get that done we need a series of videos have to get that done the second record was kind of a surprise but I'm very happy about it um, but yeah that's something right there it's I gave myself this this timeline I said okay like this band started pretty much at the end of 2017 mm-hmm. and I knew that you know a year later I needed to have all of this stuff so it kind of got me to put my head down develop a bunch of short-term goals like you know at first it was just like okay well we need a repertory we need 10 or 12 songs so we would rehearse we would figure that out we would get our music together the next thing was we need to get some gigs we need to develop this this sound this thing that we're honing in that we're trying to craft so I booked us one or two little things and we immediately got in the studio Mm -hmm. you know I wasn't trying to wait too long with anything Um, and I kind of saw the bigger picture when we first started playing that this band was going to be around for a while we're all good friends we get along really well and Philly is always going to kind of be home base for all three of us so for me it was like let's do this now let's get this first record out let's get what we sound like now documented yeah And then from there, we're going to keep moving. And every year, we're going to put out different projects, different recordings, different videos, X, Y, and Z. So this experience of of working with that trio in particular has been really awesome and a good example of that. Because now I'm finally just like taking this chaotic, anarchic brain that I have and trying to formulate it into something that makes sense you yeah. know and develop these short-term goals to get me to hopefully Absolutely. a better place yeah this reminds me a lot of a conversation i had with um with tim warfield um that turned into the the inspiration to do the podcast in the first place uh, i took a composition lesson with him and uh we basically almost immediately it was it was like oh yeah you can write stuff like I brought up probably as soon as he's like okay yeah well you can write stuff and then we got immediately into how do you get your composition to have a life afterward which yes. gets into issues of band leading issues of marketing issues of all these uh, extra musical things um, which turn out to be huge especially when you don't have the you don't have like a manager or publicist or whatever to do them for you um, can you talk a little bit about like the skill set of a skill set or a mentality of making those things happen? Because I feel like a lot of those things aren't really talked about in in school. Yeah, it's true. It's it's a whole it's 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 business. It it becomes less about creating. Oh, thank you, sir. Yes, Nick is pouring me some fine green tea. Yes, 
Yeah, it's it's funny, man. We go to music school. We learn how to how to practice, how to learn a composition. Maybe we talk about improvising. We get to play in these various ensembles. But a big piece that's missing, in my opinion, is is the business side of things. Yeah. And I I took what you would call a business course at UArts, but honestly. A large percentage of the stuff that I've gone through in the past year that I've had to figure out, we never talked about in school. Yeah. Kind of weird, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. it's it's just what happened. So, yeah, I've had to learn a great deal on the fly just about how to give a composition another life, what that means, and kind of the money and the time that goes into it, mm-hmm. the, the kind of order of operations of who you need to talk to from step one till the end yeah. to getting it to the right places, filtering it through the right m- mediums to get it to the right audience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not something that we necessarily learn when we're at music school just trying to play our scales and get ready for our juries, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot, a lot of... Like for me personally, and I see this a lot, which is why I bring it up among students, like their career path, career choice as a musician is to avoid doing anything that resembles an office job. Uh-huh. So doing all this, uh, you know, m- m- uh, work that is not playing music yeah. for the music can really feel like an office job. But for me, I always try to frame it in like, this is, is serving the art, you know. This is like a little piece of artwork. You know what I mean? Of like course. every Instagram post is like a little. Oh, this is a little little piece of art that serves the bigger art. You know, and that's totally. what keeps me motivated to keep doing it. So, um, but yeah, when you see the results of of you know stacking those little small steps and doing all those extra things, it's you, you know you really see it and. You know, I was at the the uh, Sideways Circle uh, live recording. Yeah, the release and, party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which you weren't planning on releasing that as a Oh, the, yeah, that, so that's that funny, that? man. I mean, yeah, the, the concert that you were at was the record release party for yes. our studio album, Sideways Circle. And our idea originally was just to get some videos done for it. Um, and we have this amazing master engineer that we've been working with, this guy John Anthony, who worked on Ben Schachter's records previously, who we should cool. talk about at some yes, point yes, because yes, that yes. guy is one of my truest of heroes. Yeah, likewise. But um, So yeah, John showed up and he ended up miking up the band super well and we, we got these great videos, but when we were listening back to the recordings, it was just like, whoa like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is this is super great this is high quality it sounds wonderful we should just put out a record yeah so it, yeah it's funny man we're putting out a record of the cd release party of our cd and we might even have a party to celebrate the release <laughs> of that record release party yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I do i know exactly what you mean i'm that thinking this time just having booze and hanging out though maybe not even playing a set you know <laughs> Yeah, I think you should play set. Then you'll have another album. You know? Right? Yeah. I'm I'm all about the live album format. Yes. I think it is the the most. I mean, first of all, it's fun. It's super fun. Yeah. 
um, having a live audience there and you know we were talking about having like pressure constraints and what how that can elevate you like there's nothing more pressure than having one take to get stuff you know what I mean like yeah that's true. it you know you're not going to do another take you can't overdub that's it that's all you got yeah and um and also it's it's um can be economical um you can you know charge people to come in and then use that money to help offset the cost of recording exactly yeah. you know and also take less like only one day of recording as opposed to multiple endless days of of things so I really like it and I, I want to see that that more yeah I think you know it, the kind of music that we play it's so much about the energy too yeah and it's a different kind of energy being in a recording studio being in like a tiny little isolated booth or something and looking at your drummer through a through a glass window mm-hmm Versus having an audience in front of your face. Yeah. And just having that energy to kind of go with. Yeah. Um, being in the room, having the sound of the room, having all three of the musicians, in my case, you know, the trio, having all of us in one spot together and just being able to feed off of the energy of the room and the energy of each other without any kind of separation, without listening to 75% of it through a headphone you know that's always so tough for me too it's like how do you play creatively and energetically you know my thing in the studio is I have one earphone all the way on and I have like the left earphone maybe halfway on so I can still hear the acoustic quality of the instrument I can still hear like the breath of that but I also want to be able to hear the band obviously and I want to kind of it's interesting when I'm in the recording studio I almost look at it from like an outside perspective like as if I'm listening to the record, it's already done, and I'm just like sitting there listening to it. Yeah, I try to like approach studio recording like that because you kind of have to when you have the cans on your head, mm-hmm. and you're just getting this sound of the recording instead of the live room sound of the band. I I feel like I kind of have to put myself in those shoes. Just like okay, I'm at home, I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm listening to my bass solo right now. Yeah, what does it sound like? Mm-hmm. You know, go. Yeah, and it, it's cool, but it's one specific avenue. It's one mentality that I have to put myself into. Um, it's way different when we're playing live, man. It's yeah. just, it's all about energy. And I consider what I do in a large sense and what USE does in a large sense as what we would call energy music. Mm-hmm. It's it's just about the energy. It's about following the energy. Sometimes they're really long form improvisations that can go on for several minutes or go to several different avenues and it's just so much easier to follow that kind of energy when it's natural yeah versus when it's kind of censored in in the studio it's like we we never stretch we never nearly stretch as far as we do live when we're in the studio Mm -hmm. yeah i feel i feel that way about jazz in general like jazz is such a live experience i heard somewhere i really can't remember the source of this but someone was talking about how tv killed the big bands because mm. like you listen to a big band recording never sounds how big bands like feel 
yeah. live. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. a big band is, like, one of the craziest sounds. I know. And, like, <laughs> sitting in a big band, you know, like, kind of in front of that horn section is, is there's just nothing really like it. And uh, I feel like that's never really captured on, like, even the best of recordings. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about Ben Schachter, yeah. who has been uh, a big influence on on probably everybody in the Philadelphia jazz scene. Um, and he mostly played cordless. Yeah. I can't really think of him with a chordal instrument other than like Tom Lawton here or there. Yeah, he would, he would occasionally have I think on his last record he had was it Bruce? Was it Bruce, oh, Bruce, Barth? Bruce Barth or was yeah. it Tom Lawton? I know Tom Lawton played on a few of his records. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean Ben he would use a chordal instrument. You know, he would have Jeff Lee Johnson uh, right, back yeah. in the day on a, on a lot of his stuff. Um, but yeah, in in the performing sense, yeah. especially as of as of recent, yeah. it was always pretty much cordless. Yeah. Um, it would be very rare to see him with a piano player or a guitarist. Yeah. Um, and yeah, his last two albums, for the most part, with the exception, I think, of one or two tracks, it would be, you know, it was the trio with, with Leon, Leon yeah. Boykins, Matt Scarano. So that's a cordless trio. And then he had Swana, of Swana, course, John yeah. Swana join him for those two records. But yeah, Ben was very much about, look, ben, it was and is very much about the cordless thing yeah as am I I'm starting to kind of get really into that avenue I'm really digging it it's interesting what you can do yeah it's it's you have a a, a pretty large canvas to work with and it's fun man I mean working with this saxophonist Andrew Urbina it's very interesting how he can play with harmony. We have a couple of compositions where, you know, maybe the root note, what the bass is playing, could be one or two notes, but the way that he plays with minor over major versus like this diminished sound versus like these whatever, who's a what's it scales and sounds mm -hmm. that this guy can come up with. It's very interesting because all of a sudden your, your ear is taken for this crazy journey of just weaving in and out of things. And it's a little harder to do when a piano player or a guitarist is kind of implying a particular sound. Mm -hmm. um, and as a bass player, it's really cool because our role becomes, I mean, it just becomes very important for us to, to, to really like convey what we're thinking and what we're feeling and what we're hearing and make sure that the sound of what we're going for is there and that the groove and everything is really solid. The foundation is super solid. We have, we have nothing to really hide behind, mm -hmm. but we also have a lot of room to break out. Um, see, I'm really enjoying that and I'm getting into that very much. And Ben Schachter was a huge influence for me with that. Mm -hmm. And I learned about Ben through Norman like I said, I've been playing in Norman's band for about a decade now. And those guys go way back to like the days up in New England mm -hmm. uh, when Norm was teaching at Berkeley College. 
and I learned about Ben kind of through him and at the time I kind of missed Ben Schachter for yeah. most of my early years in Philly I moved here in 2008 mm -hmm. to go to school and that was Ben's last year uh, in Philly before he moved to Arizona for a while mm -hmm. so I think I saw him one play one gig and it was funny because it's not at all what you're gonna expect but I saw him play with a big band <laughs> yes yeah he was wow. um, I believe he was on the faculty at UArts at the time and when I was at UArts the UArts big band the Z band they're called played a show at the school and Ben guested on one or two songs so I yeah. <laughs> heard Ben play the tenor with the big band I was blown away of yeah. course you know I was like wow who's this guy he's incredible and that was towards the end of the school year and then that was it he moved yeah and then it was just a rumor it was like okay oh man this guy Ben Schachter he, he's done all these things he played in this amazing trio called trio of many with Micah Jones and Eric Johnson he's got these records with Jeff Lee Johnson who is one of my favorite guitar players of all time yeah. and then I spent like that those four or five years in college like checking out Ben like yeah. all this stuff you know like, just keep digging into his records trio of many by the way one of my favorite records of all time yeah. if you're not hip if you're listening to this get hip man um, so, so I studied Ben, and I, and I was very fortunate. I, I was taking lessons with Micah Jones, who was the bass player in Trio of Many, when I was at UArts. So I got really into this guy. You know, I was really digging his music very heavily. And then he came back. He moved back to Philly after a few years. Mm -hmm. And I finally got the chance to, to see him. And he started this concert series over at the Cherry Street Tavern in Center City. And they played once a month. Uh, this was with Retrio, with mm -hmm. Leon and Matt, and Swana would join them often. And yeah, I think for about two years I went every single month. I didn't miss a single gig. If I did, maybe once yeah. out of that whole two years, you know, I would show up even just for the last 30 or 40 minutes if I could. That was one of the most amazing, just musical and healthy experiences for me because. During the first year, I was kind of going through some, some troubles and some hardship and stuff. And it meant so much to me just to go and see someone who was such an inspiration to me play. Yeah. And not only play, but play their original stuff mm -hmm. and do it in an original way. Yeah. Um, this is something that I feel like I, I should probably mention. And Philly's doing a good job of it now. I think I think it's getting better. I think we're getting to a, a good place with this. But like presenting original music in an original way. Yeah. Um, and and sort of what I mean by an original way is like kind of getting out of. I'm not trying to knock any club or anything like that, but kind of getting out of the clubs in a sense and finding a space where you can play that's open to you just doing your own thing. Yeah. And, and not having to worry about pleasing some kind of order. Mm -hmm. You know, Cherry Street Tavern, the, th the series that Ben started is a perfect example. They just give him the room. Mm -hmm. If there's a room in the back of the joint, they sh we shut the door and he does his thing and people pay attention. Yeah. They listen, they come there to see him. There's not a single person in there that is just there to get a drink mm -hmm. or just there because they heard that like, this is the spot to go hear music. They're there because they know Ben's there. 
they know he's playing with with Leon and Matt and Swana, and they're there to see that. Yeah. And I think that's really important, man. There needs to be that for an artist to really have like a space to create openly and freely and be themselves. I think it's really important. I I do like playing in the clubs, I, and I'm happy to present original music. I think there's an importance to that too. Obviously, you kind of want to reach an audience that you wouldn't have otherwise, and it's a good way to be found out about and a good way to be seen to go downtown and play and and these kinds of things. But at the same time, without these creative spaces, these original spaces, I feel like I would be kind of lost. Yeah. And I learned that from Ben Schachter because just he didn't compromise. You would never see Ben play in the last couple of years anyway, you would never see Ben play at any of these main hot spots or anything like that. He wanted to play with his band his way and he wanted to present it his way. Yeah. And I really, really 100% respected that and still respect that. Um, and I've been doing my best to kind of cultivate my own situations for that and support other people who are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it uh, uh, was a, a big reason why like I moved to Philly in the first place was um, back around that time there was uh, uh, Mescarano and I uh, reminisced about it for a while um, the the tritone mm. uh, where you could just do whatever you wanted and uh, that kind of kind of that kind of mentality kind of went away uh, of just kind of doing your own things uh, for a bit and uh, I, I agree with you. I feel like there's a resurgence of that yes. lately. And um, like there's so, I, I hear a lot and have heard for many years just so much complaining among musicians <laughs> about like this should happen and this place and blah, 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 blah. So, so do something so about do it. So do something about it. Exactly. Like nobody's going to do it for you. We all need to be making uh, making these things happen and I feel like in a in in a larger sense uh, uh, this is the thing I, I harp on a lot but and I get, I get I get so much just shit for it but it's okay I still still think it's it's there's something to it but just the overall like Jazz back in the day was like cool because it was like dangerous and like subversive and like off off the path. You know what I mean? And like we need to recreate some of that. Yeah. Like we need it, jazz needs to be like its own thing in its own place. And I think people will will respond to that more than um, being excluded by like institution type things you know what I mean like a lot of people can't afford and or don't want to pay you know yeah a lot of people don't want to go to the clubs because they don't want to pay the cover they don't want to be forced to buy a $10 cocktail yeah or a $14 cocktail they don't want to sit next to like a bunch of guys in suits that came there because of the ambiance of the music I feel like a lot of People who aren't necessarily jazz or, or music fans, 
they come to places like that because of the ambiance in the background. They want to talk about, they want to undo their tie and clink their glasses and talk about their their big deal that they just made with like these musicians in the background. They want it to be like a movie scene, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, like Leo DiCaprio, you know, with the band playing in the background and. So. That's what you get sometimes at those yeah. places, and it can be discouraging for me, even just as somebody who wants to go and hear something or check out a band. It's like, ah, why can't they just play like somewhere where everybody's gonna be chill and like quiet and respectful and listen to them? Like, why do I have to go see them when there's gonna be a bunch of guys in the background yelling about football? You know, yeah. like I don't want that. I want to yeah. like really experience these musicians. And I, yeah, I agree, man. There needs to be an element of that. That's what some of us are trying to create here in Philly. Exactly. Starting these original music series and stuff. It's like, for instance, like for eight months now, um, our band has been doing a monthly music series mm-hmm. um, at this place called the Moss Building in North Philly. Uh, it's called the Creative Concepts and Jazz Series. And one of the most important things to me was that you can just go there and like be yourself and i mean there's a cover we have to pay for the expenses yeah um but it's byob byo you can bring your own food roll a joint man i don't care bring whatever you want like that's the thing it's like it's not there are no rules beyond just be respectful and pay the cover you know um so it, it, in a way, to me, that kind of adds a little bit of that element. It's like we're getting you off the beaten path. Just, yeah. just come if you if you want, come check it out. Be yourself. Bring whatever you want. Dress however you want. Like you don't have to. You can take your shirt off and your shoes. I don't care. Yeah. You know, just come <laughs> hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's super. Inf- that's almost more important to me than like. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where I was actually going with that, but <laughs> it's important. <laughs> Got to be honest, it's yeah. just important to me. Yeah. It's 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 just important to me that like there is a place where you can do that, where you can not have to worry about being pressured into buying things and spending too much money just yeah. to just to hear somebody that you want to hear. Absolutely. So we're trying with that series. We're trying to get as many people as we can. You know, we're going to do it every month. So we're just going to try and get as many artists in there as we can, and make sure that local artists who are doing original things have a place to showcase themselves outside of those kind of main institutions absolutely uh, and that's like a, a, a you know you talked about uh, there being more and more people doing doing things and like making spaces uh, you being one of them uh, Matt Scarano carrying on the Cherry Street uh, Ben's Cherry Street uh, gig is another one. Um, who are some of the people that you have had at the at the Moss Building, and like what are what are your what are your longer term goals for it? Well, it's been eight months now. Um, the series started. We had this group from uh, from Denton, Texas, come up. This trio called Imposter. And at the time, we weren't really thinking of it as being a jazz series or anything. We were just looking to do a double bill with this band, so we hooked hooked it up at the Moss Building. Um, so that was the first show. And then right after that show, I, I kind of realized the potential for having something kind of regular there. 
um, I had a talk with Ben, who's the owner of the building, and he had also been looking to just do some kind of jazz-related series there. So in talking to him, we kind of quickly just started formulating things and getting it rolling. Um, I've had a number of guests over the past eight months. I'll try to name them in order if I can. The first month we had uh, my friend Michael Hudson Casanova and his sextet play. Um, and my friend Dan Levine did a really cool opening set with uh, a dancer, Sarah Rott, and he played trumpet with some electronics. So part of what we do at that series is basically the way that it works is we do three acts each night. The, the opener just plays a quick 20 minute set and is usually a soloist or a duo, something kind of on the more experimental tip, if you will, something a little bit different. And then we have a feature band who plays a 45 minute set right at kind of the prime time slot. And then our trio just closes out the night for whoever wants to keep hanging out and, mm -hmm. and chill. Um, so that was our first month. Uh, then we had, uh, this might be out of order, but we had the Greg yeah. Schneider trio <laughs> with John Swana play. Um, we've had Tom Lawton come in and play some, one of the most amazing solo sets <laughs> I've ever seen in my life, man. He played yeah. 30 minutes of, it was so funny. Um, he got to the gig, he got to the Moss building for the creative concept series and he, he was like, so what do you want me to do? And I was just like, oh, just play whatever you want for 30 minutes. And he's like, okay. He t took off his watch and he put it on the <laughs> piano. And I watched him just watch the minute, you know, until yeah. it ticked over right to the top. And he put his hands on the piano and he started playing. And he just improvised this amazing music for 30 minutes. And as soon as the, the clock went to 30, <laughs> stopped playing. <laughs> so That's he was so fantastic. <laughs> um, we ha have had the Dave Allen trio. Uh, recently, we had my great friend Fima Chupakin, a piano player by way of Ukraine, who lives, he lives in New York now, but he, uh, he grew up in Ukraine. I actually met him in Ukraine a number of years ago. We've had Fima featured. Um, this month we'll have Elliot Build and The Zone playing. I know I'm missing somebody, man. It'll come to me eventually. That's all right. Um... But what 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 is future future plans? Horizons Quartet, that was Horizons. the one that I was missing. Sorry, that's with James Collins, uh, Byron Landum, Dan, Dan Wilkins, Wilkins, and yeah. Gene Perla. Um, what were sorry? What were you saying? Um, I was wondering what what your future future plans for it. Yeah, um, I, we just wanted to continue, man. We just wanted to keep going. We hope that more and more people become aware of the series. More and more people come to check it out. Um, the more support we have. The, the better we can kind of accommodate artists as they come in yeah. and it's a really cool space if you haven't been there before um, it's an indoor outdoor space when the weather's nice we actually last month we ended up playing the concert outside we lit a bonfire we had a lot of beer flowing and everything was really really cool so yeah the goal is just to keep it going man I just want to get as many people who are interested in showcasing their original stuff in there as possible. I'd like to have artists from other cities come in, you know, just have that be kind of like a spot to go when you're on tour, if, if it lines up yeah. with the date. I've had artists from, uh, from D.C. hit me up, from Baltimore. I'm starting to get some people looking at our series from New York and stuff, so 
you know, the more the merrier, man. I would love to have people from all over the place come through and, and showcase themselves. I'd love to have some international acts playing there. Um, but, yeah, we don't want it to... We're not expecting anything crazy. We just want it to exist. We yeah. just want it to stay happening. Very cool. Yeah. Um, before we started talking, uh, you mentioned um, kind of your in, in, in your immediate future next couple of months you're going to be doing some you're going to ukraine yes and you're going to be uh missing all of the the fun christmas gigs here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm i'm dipping out for the month of december yeah. yeah um yeah i've had good fortune to go to that country uh a couple of times now the first time that i visited ukraine i was taking part of a, a new jazz music series excuse me festival um called the all music is jazz fest which has now changed its name to the am i jazz festival um, and this happens in the fall every year in kiev ukraine so i was invited to go over there and play with my great friend and tenor saxophonist bogdan gumanyuk with a cordless trio actually with uh, my friend Felix Manzi on drums. So he brought like the Philly boys over to yeah, Ukraine yeah. and we played this festival. It was awesome, man. We got to teach. It was like a week long of teaching young, young aspiring musicians and also playing these concerts at night. Um, and my friend Bogdan is very, very ingrained in the scene over in Ukraine. He's a very well-known tenor saxophonist. And he has a, a project called Jazz Mission which is an educational program that its its goal is just to inspire the next group of young people in Ukraine who are interested in this music and interested in playing this music and give them an opportunity to see musicians from other parts of the world, to have people like myself and other people from the United States and um, different places all over the world come teach them and perform for them and inspire them. Um, up until not that long ago, this music was not really super common in that country or in that part of the world. It, it wasn't something that a lot of people were doing or were able to, to, to learn about. So for some of these young students to have a, a, a quintet just show up to their school, guys from New York and Philly and, and Berlin and some of the top players in Ukraine just show up and, and shred, you know? <laughs> It's, it's very inspiring for them, and then they get to hang out with us, they get to, to learn from us. Uh, so anyway, the second time I went over there was for this, for this program, and it was quite amazing. We got to travel to 10 different cities to teach at 10 different universities. Um, we did master classes. I would teach um, small group lessons to like you know just the bass students, and my friend Bogdan would teach the tenor students. We had... Uh, amazing trumpet player Dennis Adu with all the trumpet students, um, Pasha Gajetsky on the drums, and uh, Yura Seradin, piano player, uh, you know, with, with the rhythm section cats. And uh, yeah, we just traveled the country, man. We, we, we taught for a month, we played all these concerts, and we helped kind of get jazz education rolling in Ukraine. And, Part of our goal is to continue the, with that project and help some of these universities and institutions grow their programs and just get more and more students inspired so that there can be mm -hmm. some kind of life for this music over there. 
Um, so yeah, in December I'm leaving to go back to Ukraine. We don't have too much lined up with that particular project. I'm really just going to escape. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> man. I, I've been doing a lot. Yeah, I've been doing a lot this year. Like I said, like we've put out a couple albums. We started this music series. Um, just been gigging a bunch. And as much as I love all the work and what I'm doing, it's like I need a little bit of a break. And yeah. I have th all those guys that I just mentioned a moment ago are really great friends of mine. And I miss them. I, I miss playing with them. So I just figured, okay, let's like take some time off. Let's go hang out. Let's let's hang out with Buck Don and and you know we're just gonna talk and chill and play a couple gigs and try to like see what we can come up with what yeah. new things we can create um yeah so i'm just really going to get out of here man that's, that's important man i feel like taking like personal time is uh it's a difficult thing to do as a musician totally because you don't it's hard to schedule it's hard to to think of like gigs you could possibly be missing out on you know what i mean you get a lot of last call stuff and you know it's it's just hard to plan for and i think a lot of students or younger musicians like don't even think about that and so yeah. when you're young and you're just like i'm just gonna go full force all the time like you can't do that forever like you need yeah you, you need, need breaks you need to recharge so yeah you've you have uh earned this and uh, I, I hope, hope so. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> you know, you've been been doing a, a lot of stuff for for a while. So enjoy your your time off, man. Um, Thanks. I like to wrap this up. Um, how could um, how can people find you? How can people get how in can touch they with find you? Me? How can how can people? I guess the easiest way is uh, Facebook or Instagram. You know, um, Instagram is at Sandy Eldred Base. If you're interested in learning more about my trio, you can check us out on Instagram at U-S-E underscore trio. Um, you can also visit my website, www.sandyeldred.com. If you are interested in some of the other music that is on um, the record label that my trio is on, that's called Label Who Able. So you can check them out on Facebook or Instagram yeah cool man that's the stuff man. yeah thanks for thanks for <laughs> hanging out with me man. yeah thanks for it. having me man it's always good to hang out with another bass player indeed thanks for listening to the voice equals power podcast for me this series is a labor of love my goal is to help document the making of jazz history in this moment if you have any suggestions about who you would like to hear on this show Drop me a line. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to hear from you soon.